We are so thankful you decided to take time out of your day to listen to this sermon. Central to all of our services is gospel-centered teaching led by our senior pastor, Dr. Jeff Warren. Together, we are a church that seeks to follow Jesus every day, and we hope you are drawn closer to Christ as a result of this message. And amen. It's great to see you today, a great crowd here with us on this cold, rainy day. If you're like me, some of you do, sure enough, park away off campus. Do that next week if you don't yet. Some of you take the bus over. It's Big D Now weekend. We're setting uh, some areas free for our students and all the hosts to get them in and out of here. But uh, I park most often under the, uh, as I did this morning, under the, the UP library. There's a, not on the surface, but below there's a garage you can park. Walk from there over here. Some of you walk from the garage over. That's about a, a quarter mile walk uh, from the garage over. Uh, it seems that way, doesn't it? Uh, it's a long, long walk. You know, I wonder, what is the furthest you've ever walked, I wonder? Like at one time. And what if I were to challenge you, say, hey, let's take a walk. Imagine walking with me around the world. Now, that's a long walk. If you could actually walk the circumference of the world, you'd say, well, there's no way. That's 25,000 miles. But if you're 30 years old or so, you've already walked that distance in your lifetime. You've already walked around the world. And if you're 80 years old, kind of the average person, you've already walked around the earth three times. You feeling pretty healthy? Feeling like a marathoner? The average human walks 110,000 miles in a lifetime. That's 7,500 steps a day. Now, some of you are probably thinking, I'm not walking that far today. I'm going home taking a nap is what I'm doing. I'm going to walk to the refrigerator and back But you know, if you were to keep that average until your 80th birthday, you will have walked around the earth five times. And I'm guessing, I'm just guessing, you're not keeping track of your steps. Now, if you're a Fitbit or something, maybe for a little bit, I'm guessing you hadn't been counting your miles. How does that happen? When I discovered that, I thought, good grief. And some of you who are marathoners or runners, you've run laps around the earth without even knowing it, one day at a time. It happens one step at a time, doesn't it? You know, our walk with God is that way. We're not necessarily counting the steps. We're just taking one more step. Your relationship with Him is just like that. And today I'm going to focus on what it means to take one step at a time. We saw it in the, uh, with the story of Noah. And we see it today But the story of Abram or Abraham, it says he walked with God. I want that to be my epitaph. Say what you will about me. I'd love for my family, my wife, my friends, my congregation to say, Jeff walked with God. If you and I do that, friends, listen, that is success in life. I mean, you can fail in all kinds of areas of life, I suppose. But if you fail in that one area, if you don't walk with God, you've missed the whole point of life and what it means to be created in His image, to be here. But do you ever find yourself wanting to walk with God, but you're not sure how? Do you find yourself this morning, I'm guessing you're here because you want to live a life of faith. Do Do you want to have more faith, but you're not sure how to grow in your faith? 
Do you wonder sometimes, how can I hear from God and walk with Him? Well, today we're going to look at the life of Abraham because he's going to show us what it is to take the next step. And here's my prayer for you right now, today, that God will speak into your heart. So you can turn to Genesis chapter 12, and we're going to look at the story of Abram or Abraham. I'll probably use his name interchangeably, though here he's Abram. Abram means high or exalted father. Abraham means father of the multitudes or, 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 or of many, many people. I want you to turn in your Bible. Everybody turn in the Bible there. Uh, you can grab a Bible in front of you there. Please bring your Bible as we're walking through the year of the Bible. This is always the text for this course, the text for life. Abram, Abraham is a key figure, perhaps you know this, in world history. He's the father of three re world religions, uh, of, of Judaism, Christianity, of Islam, but he's not a superhero. Like we've said along the way, the people of the Bible, and you're going to see this with Abram, are not superheroes. God seems to like stacking the odds against himself, doesn't he? He does so with you and with me. He wants to use Abraham. The only reason we know of Abraham at all, and the world knows about it, is because God chose him. And it says he believed God. This is the only reason we know about him. In fact, James chapter 2, verse 23, it says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, that he believed God. Because he believed, God befriended him and he's called a friend of God. Isn't that what you want to be? I mean, this is life. It's critical for us to understand what it means to live by faith. In fact, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 11, you can see it there. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Not improbable, not highly unlikely, impossible to please God apart from faith. And then it, it goes on to say that those who believe or have faith to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Now, Two things, believe he exists, but listen, believe in him, trust in him, that seeking him is the way to life. That's what it says there. You believe in him and you follow him. In fact, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, we walk by faith and not by what? Sight. Faith is such a challenging thing for us. Paul goes on to say, you're on a journey with God. In that same passage, he says, but you're not home yet. Keep walking with God. So Abraham's journey begins where ours begins, with a vision of a new country, a better life ahead, a home forever blessed as the dwelling of God's place and presence. God speaks, we believe, faith dawns, and life begins. So I want us to read Genesis chapter 12. I'm going to read through verse, you can see it there, through verse 9. We're just going to look at his calling today, but I'll dive further into the story before we end. Now, and this now, by the way, is after the Tower of Babel, the dispersion of the nations. We looked at last week. And also after a recapping of, of the generations. We've seen this over and over where we actually learn about Abram. 
He's coming from the Ur of Chaldeans there in chapter 11. And we want to see now what the writer's showing us is where the seed, a theme throughout, where the seed has come from that's going to overcome the curse. And so now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that, there it is, you will be a blessing. I will bless you or bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Here's the turning point of history. Look at verse 4. So Abram went. He took one step. As the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarah, his wife, Lot, his brother's son, so his orphaned nephew, and all their possessions that they had, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. So he's coming from the Ur of Chaldeans over uh, kind of the Tigris-Euphrates, not too far from the Garden of Eden area. He goes up, I guess it's this way if you're looking at me, goes up north into Haran, north of the Holy Land. He goes down into what we call the Holy Land and watch what, it's a 550-mile 500, trek from Ur of the Chaldeans. Now it's about a 200-mile trek down into the Holy Land. It says when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land uh, to the place of Shechem. That's about 100 miles north of Jerusalem to the Oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he's showing him the land. This is it. This is the land of Canaan, the promised land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And from there he moved to the hill country on the east. Now Abram's glad at this point he doesn't have kids. Can you imagine how many are we there yet? He would have heard by this point. He's still traveling. He's gone about 550 miles. This is like from here to St. Louis, okay? Here to Memphis. Or go the other way. It's not here from not here, not here to Denver, not that far. So it's a trek. Many think it's months that he's walking along with his caravan. And in verse 8, from there he moved to the hill, hill country, yes, on the east of Bethel. So now we're just ten and a half miles north of Jerusalem, and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward Negev or Negev, that's southern part of Israel, where you have Jordan uh, and Egypt on either side. So you get a little sense of where he is traveling. So here's what I want us to do. Abraham's life teaches us how to walk with faith one step at a time. Human history had come to a dead end yet again. And God raises up Abram. And here's the hinge point of history. So let's talk about the focus of our faith. That's what I want us to look at, the focus of our faith. Someone may say, he's a man of great faith. She has great faith. And I would like to ask, faith in what? Because it's the object of your faith. It's the focus of your faith that matters. In fact, we see this in the New Testament. It's not the amount of your faith even. It's not your faith. It's the object of your faith, the focus of your faith. So we all place our faith in something, but it's the focus. 
It's the object of our faith. It's why in Hebrews 11, verse 1 and 2, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Here's really the biblical definition of it. The conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old, that would be Abraham, among others, received their commendation. That is to say, to, to receive God's approval was by faith. And so we hear, or see here, at, at the start of Genesis 12, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. See, walking by faith means that we take steps even when we cannot see. Now, I'm told that the African impala can jump 10 feet in the air with one leap and over 30 feet at one time. It would leap across this, this platform with a single jump. But you know, you can keep an impala in any zoo in the world with a little flimsy fence of about three feet high. As long as he can't see. If he can't see where he's going to land, he's not going to jump. And this is a great picture of most of us here. If we can't see exactly, cover all the contingencies, yet God is calling us. We don't know what might happen. Most of us stay enclosed in this flimsy enclosure where only fear can keep us trapped. And yet God calls us out, like he did Abraham, to jump. And I want you to consider, how is God calling you to jump? It may be the scariest thing in the world, but for all of us, he's calling us to take a next step. I want the Spirit of God to speak to you. Because you see, for Abram to leave his father's house, meant to leave safety, socioeconomic security. I mean, to hear from him that he's doing this would have been the equivalent of, say, you having a degree in engineering, working in your dad's business for 30 years, maybe have a share in the company, maybe an ownership stake in the company, deciding to sell all your shares, sell your house, grab all of your possessions, and head off to Hollywood to be an actor. And when I, when I say actor, I mean barista. And, and when I say Hollywood, I mean Siberia. I mean, this is nuts. And yet God speaks to him and he starts out. He doesn't know where he's going. He jumps before he can see. How's God calling you to jump? Though you can't see where you might land First thing I want us to see here is that faith focuses on, how did you do this? Faith focuses on God's person. Watch this. Abram did not focus on a plan. He didn't have one. God didn't give him one. God gave him himself. This is so important for us to understand. The object of our faith makes all the difference. Faith, you see, is happy to move forward, happy to jump when we know who's calling us when we know who's speaking to us, and when we know the one who's going with us. Faith focuses on a person, not a plan. And what I mean by person, you're focusing on the character of God. If you know that God is loving, if you know that he's merciful, if you know that he's sovereign, you can hold his hand, you can trust him, and you can take one more step. And friends, if you're walking through a difficult path today, and all of us are in varying degrees. But some of us are going through a really challenging season right now. Maybe you're walking through the hardest part of your life. But you can know who holds your hand. And if you know 
that it's God who's holding your hand, that He loves you, that He has his, your best interest in mind. You can focus on Him. Many of us are anxious and we're worried because we're focusing on the plan and not on Him. He doesn't give Abram a plan. He gives him himself one step at a time. And I believe that's why God doesn't give us the big plan. He says, no, I want you to come to me. You've been through seasons of your life where you've been worried or troubled and you've had to pursue God. You're crying out to him. It's not, not always fun, but, but the, I think we're right where the Lord wants us. Good. You're crawling up in my lap. Just keep coming to me. Keep coming to me. I'm going to show you more of myself. Secondly, I want you to see this. Faith focuses on God's promises. See, notice here, there's one command and seven promises. This is very important to understand. The difference between commands and promises. See, commands, as important as they are, they don't offer a solution to our dilemma. Only the promises of God propel us towards Him to believe what He has already said to us in His Word. And what we know is true, the result of what He's already done. See, most of us here, this is kind of a North Dallas kind of a thing. We focus on commands, even as believers. And we wake up in the morning, we want to live morally upright. We want to be good and nice, and we want to do the right thing all day long. We go to bed thinking, well, I did pretty good, but this brings great struggle in our lives. Because we're not focused on the promises of God. We would do far better to think about the promises of God what He's already said to us in His Word, the results of what He's already done for us, our identity found in Him, not based on our performance, not based on the approval of others, the tender love of God towards us, revealed through His gracious promises, is what propels us to take the next step, not simply out of obligation. In fact, that's the difference between religion and relationship that we talk about so often. So, God says, go. It's the one command. It's the one he brings to us today. Go. And then, look at this. In chapter 12, verse 2 and 3, it says, I will make you a great nation. He lays out the promises. I'll bless you. Make your name great. You'll be a blessing. I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to and, and dishonor those who curse you. And you will be a blessing to all the families of the earth. So you can see him just outlined there. He's going to make him a great nation. Now, remember this, he's 75 with no kids. He's going to make him a great, that means children are to come. God will bless him, verse 2. God will make his name great for his sake, for God's sake, not his, not Abram's sake. And God will make him a blessing to others. God blesses us, we say this often, in order to be a blessing. The only reason you've been blessed by God is that you might be a conduit of blessing to others. To live your life that way. And God will bless those who bless Abraham. God chooses to bless him. And then he says he's going to protect him. That's what it means. He's going to curse those who curse Abraham. And then all the families, this includes us, will be blessed through his life. So faith focuses on the promises of God. Look at this thirdly. Faith focuses on God's power. Abraham had to rely on God's power. He was 75 years old. He had no power. Can I say it? He had no potency at all, I'm guessing. And yet God would use him. Are you placing your faith in God's power or in your own? You say, well, how would I know? Well, you'd be living a life of prayer. You'd be on your knees before God. 
It's why I've called our church to prayer. You can see it on our bulletin here. We, we, we must come before Him, humble ourselves before Him. This week I had the privilege of being with uh, our friend Dr. Albert Reyes, who's the president and CEO of, of Buckner International. We were at the National Prayer Breakfast. Stacy and I joined a team there in D.C., and I want to bring a word, really a word of encouragement to you. You may be surprised to find, or maybe not so much, that there are senators and House of Representatives who love the Lord and are praying for our country. There are godly people in Washington. There's a prayer gathering that meets every Wednesday and every Thursday. Senators from both sides of the aisle come together and pray. And so once a year, uh, the House and the Senate, they come together and they open it up to the public. Now they say it's the hardest ticket in town to get and after being there, I, I think that's probably the case. But we were there, a room filled with thousands of people. And Senator James Lankford is a co-chair on one side. And, and then uh, Democrats and Republicans on both sides that were there. And we were able to pray. They laid hands on our president. We prayed over him that God would give him wisdom. And Senator Lankford said the next day, as we gathered for another gathering, another dinner, he said the president called him right after, and he, he expressed how much it meant for him to be prayed over by people across, across the aisle. I would ask you, are you praying for our president? Regardless of where you, where you land, the Bible says for us to pray for our leaders. Are you praying for our senators, for our House of Representatives? Are you praying for your leaders? Are you praying for me? You follow me around a day or two and you'll know that, 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 that Satan and demonic forces have come after those who are in, who are in leadership. And I'm, I'm asking you to pray for me. Pray for our leaders. Pray for our staff. Pray for those who guide us and lead us. We've been told to do so and I'm asking you to come and join me to pray every Sunday morning at 8.30 in the fellowship hall right below this sanctuary. God is moving mightily in our church, and I believe it's a result of prayer. Are you praying? Humility is trusting God's power and not your own. It's acting on His power. And then it says in verse 4, Abram went. Don't miss this. This one action changed the course of history. This is the one action that He's calling you today. This will be your legacy. I want this to be my legacy. He went. She went. Will it be yours? One step is all it takes. He's calling you to reach out to a friend. Take a step across the room. Walk across the street, across the office. Go to a person. Love them unconditionally. Imagine a conversation with Abraham and his, his caravan as they go along. Think about your own life. Where are you going? I, I don't know. How, you know, how are you going to know when you get there? I, I'm, I'm not sure. You got a big crowd with you. How are you going to you know, bring security forces to this? Who's going to protect you? I don't know. I think God will. Well, what about all the food for this group? I mean, you're going to have to cover some bases here. I have no idea. All I know is God has said, go. And many of us are here today, friends. Listen, we're saying, well, Jeff, I, I would go if God would just speak to me. I mean, I'm waiting on God to, God to speak. No, listen, listen, listen. God's waiting on you. God has already spoken through His Word. And if you've not yet received Christ, I'm telling you today, He's spoken through His Word and He's speaking through me now.
to receive his grace. He's already said this is what he wants you to do. He's waiting on you to act. Well, I don't know what God wants me to do with my neighbor. He wants you to love your neighbor. He's already told you so. Well, I'm waiting on him with this relationship. I mean, it's, there's some tension here is what's going on. He's waiting on you to move and to love that person unconditionally. Well, Jeff, you don't know how difficult they are. I'm waiting on God to reveal how. No, no, no. Forgive as I have forgiven you is what he says. Love as I have loved you. God is waiting on you. In what area of your life is he waiting on you to move? Take that first step. Let it be your legacy. She went. He went. Number four, look at this. Faith focuses on God's provision. He goes to the place at Shechem. It's a good thing, again, that Abram doesn't have a bunch of kids with him uh, because they're moving around. They're going from one place to another. But we must trust that God will provide. And here's the thing, not, not, not by our own timing or how we want him to provide. This is so hard for us. Faith runs on a different clock. I've said it before, God may seem slow, but he's never late. And if you're waiting on the Lord right now, going through a challenging season, friends, listen. Wait on him, trust him. He's asking you to trust him. I want to ask you, what do you really need right now from God? You might say, well, Jeff, I need a new job is what I need. No, no, no. Sounds like you really need patience to trust him. Well, I need healing in my life. That's what I need. I need healing. Wait, you may, but he may want you to trust him and to bring glory to him through this illness. What do you really need? Well, I need that relationship to get fixed. I got a mess in my family. I mean, we can't quite. Listen, what you really need is love, forgiveness, and grace. What do you really need? from God. You see, we want him to, to provide on our terms, and yet Abraham had to trust God in his terms and in his timing. But notice that Abram, you see it in verse 7, you see it in verse 9, Abram stops along the way and he worships God. I love that. He stops and praises him for what he has provided to this point. Stop and praise him for what he's already done in your life, what he's doing. Praise him. So Abraham Continued on, and in verse 9, the story becomes our story. He goes down into the Negev. That is, uh, that's just southern part of, of Israel. And we know how the story goes. The tension of the plot is whether or not Abram will trust God with his future. Challenges that he faces to keep trusting the Lord throughout. Gosh, those challenges include a, a, a childless wife, famine in the land, exile, uh, a kidnapping of his wife into pagan King's harems, I mean, an ungrateful nephew takes some of the land. A war with powerful kings, internal family discord and friction, failing health, and ultimately his death. But even prior to that, the only property to his name is the tomb where he buries his wife. That's all he has in the end, and yet he lives a life of faith, and through his life, he blesses even us today. He'd have many moments in which he could trust the Lord, and each one, friends, listen to this, each time he trusts him, it would build on the other. 
God is working in your life. And as you trust him through difficult times, he's building on one after another. And yes, one sacrifice after another, one step of faith at a time until one day he would call Abram, Abraham, to give his most valued possession. Because that day comes for every one of us. And we find it in Genesis chapter 22. You know the story. After these things, God tested Abraham yet again and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Find me, Lord. And he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains on which I will show you. Now, this is the most ridiculous seeming command of God in all of Scripture. But he's doing this refining work of sanctification that he does in all of our lives. It's stripping away one idol after another, and it is a heart-wrenching thing. And in this heart-rending story in Genesis 22, Isaac says, Father, I see the fire and the wood, but I don't see a lamb. And Abraham says, the Lord will provide. He'll provide the lamb. And he's all the way to that point where he's about to take the knife to his son. He actually puts him on the altar. And God stops him. And then you might know the story. That in the thicket, he finds a ram. And he offers the ram as a sacrifice. And in Genesis 22, 14, he says, So Abraham called the, that place, the Lord will provide, Jehovah Jireh. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Friend, you may not be on a mountain today, but you're somewhere. And God is calling you to trust Him. Trust His provision, not your own. Trust His timing. Are you trusting Him? You may have caught in that story that God does not provide a lamb. He provides a ram. Because the lamb would come. Jesus would come. Through the seed of Abraham, Jesus would become the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. He would journey all the way from heaven to earth. He would be the better Abraham. He would become the better Isaac. He becomes the better sacrifice. Jesus comes, and through his life, all the nations are blessed. And he's sending out his blessing to us all. So you see, your faith does focus on a person. Faith has a name. To close, faith focuses on Jesus Christ. Our faith is centered on a person. And after a long litany of men and women in chapter 11 of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says this. This is the word for us today. He brings encouragement to us to keep walking one step at a time. Listen to what it says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked before us. We move from walking to running, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the author, and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He sat down because he was the once and for all sacrifice. 
the ultimate Lamb of God, who would take away the sin of the world. And in verse 3, it says, Consider him who endured such opposition for sinners, so that, here's why he says this, friends, to you this morning, this is my word for you, so that you will not grow weary and not lose heart. Brothers and sisters, do not give up. Wherever you find yourself, take the next step. You're not home yet. God is calling you to keep trusting him to keep following him, following him. But listen, Abraham teaches us, you never exercise faith by proxy. You cannot take a correspondence course or an online course in swimming. You've got to jump in the water. How is God calling you to jump? What is he telling you to do? You can trust him. There's a story that came out of World War II during the terrible blitz, the bombing of, of London. And it came the story of a man who was running with his son, his little hand in his, in his hand, and seeking shelter as quickly as possible. The father jumped into a shell hole in front of a building that was on fire. And he held up his son to follow. Terrified, yet hearing his father's voice, the little boy said, Dad, I can't see you. And the father looked up, and with the sky tinted red, the burning building behind his son, he could see the silhouette of his son. He called out to the silhouette of his son, and he said this. He said, but I can see you. Jump. Friends, listen, God sees you. He knows where you are, and he's waiting on you to jump. He's going to receive you and he's going to take you the next step that he wants you to take to serve him and to love others. It's been said living the, the missional life, the life on mission with Jesus, we're always saying goodbye because we're always leaving ourselves or we're always raising up others and sending them out. This is the life that he's called us to. Where is he calling you today? Focus on his power. Focus on his promises. Focus on his person, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Take the one step, because one step can change the course of history. Let's pray together. Lord God, we trust you. You are God, and we are not. And Lord, I pray that each of us will determine how we might take the next step with you. Friend, if you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, that is the step. It launches you from death into life. From judgment under a holy God's wrath or into his blessing, his grace and forgiveness. Take that step now. Just say, Jesus, come into my heart. Thank you for forgiving me. For giving me new life in Christ. Friend, what will you do? Lord, we give you our lives. We commit to take the next step. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon. Come and join us as we seek to follow Jesus every day. 
We meet every Sunday at 9.15 a.m. for our small group Bible studies called Connect Groups and 10.45 a.m. for worship. We hope to see you soon at Park City's Baptist Church.